Welcome back to A Very Adventure Rewatch. I'm one-third of your host. My name is Aaron. Today we're going to be discussing the episode Home Insecurity, in which we yet again get to experience a misadventure caused by one of Rusty's ill-fated inventions. Meanwhile, Brock takes an unusual camping trip, and we get a little bit of insight into what life is like as a henchman. Hell yeah. Meanwhile. 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 When we last met our heroes... They right. were dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> it's the beginning of every episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Gowanus Canal. <laughs> um, I wanted to start us off by just saying that this episode is such a good example of their ability to economize their time. Mm, like, yeah. in 22 minutes, we get so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, well, three different plots going on and so much happens but it doesn't feel i don't feel shorted even though it's only 22 minutes you know yeah definitely. and i like how you're economizing our time by just getting right the fuck into it <laughs> boom we're getting into the real shit guys right our shit yeah time management is one of my only skills it's so great I'm putting it, it to yes you. <laughs> um so yeah no if there's i honestly i rewatching this one and like taking notes at the same time i kind of forgot how much of the episode actually does center on Doc and what's going on inside the compound. Yeah. And how we really don't even get to Brock camping until about halfway through. Yeah. Like, and even then, it's just, it's a very, it's really minuscule part of the episode. But there is so much of Doc and the boys, like, and like their core behaviors in this episode yeah. that it's, it's it's really wonderful. See, I think that that part of it was what held the my attention the most overwhelmingly in previous rewatches that I ended up forgetting how much of it was just the henchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Underbite's henchmen and the monarch's henchmen. And we kind of meet, I don't think 21 and 24 are really called 21 and 24, but they're definitely in it. Yeah. Um, he's credited as, hen- 21 is credited as henchman one. Mm. And then 24 isn't really credited because... Uh, Jackson does the voice, obviously. So, um, in the credits, it's like various monarch henchmen, you know. Yeah. So it's like a kind of overarching credit for a few different voices he does. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting the the time they spend on each individual story because the uh, the Bigfoot thing is you like stands looms so large in my head. Yeah. Like the introduction of Steve Summers, and you were saying that was your introduction to the show was someone telling you the Brock fucking Samson scene. Oh, yeah. And it really is such a tiny part of this episode. Mm-hmm. It's like very, very short, but they do so much with that little bit of time that it's uh like all the little character details are very memorable. I yeah, think. it's I think is this like the first time that we really address like Brock Samson's infamy among like yeah, I think the armed forces? We establish his legend in this scene, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of why, because it's just like that first scene of like, yeah, it is Brock fucking Samson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that dude's right. Totally. And that one soldier, like he's there's such a legend about him that the one soldier even like calls dibs on his cigarette butt. Yeah. <laughs> what is he going to do with it? <laughs> like, Kiss it. Clone it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's keep it for his collection. Maybe sell it on eBay. Mm. He might smoke it a little bit and be like, I'm Brock fucking Samson. (laughs) Um, But I think that's something else really great about this episode, too, is that it establishes a lot of how this universe actually does operate in terms of like 
arch arch um what what is the term it's a arch villainy not arch villainy but the arch blank um that some it's a term that they use throughout the show um but like the ratio the relationship between an arch and like their subject you know protagonist yeah Yeah. and not even that but like different protagonist relations i think watch and ward say a lot and beyond that just the like uh arch versus arch relationships yeah. like the overarching bureaucracy yeah. this is definitely the most we get into the kind of guild rules yeah. or which... the furthest we've gotten so far um but yeah i think this is the first example we really get of like guild diplomacy particularly from dr girlfriend mm. and how she um and i love that they have like snacks out yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and soda Absolutely. and cheetos and stuff and Although... not even like a charcuterie board <laughs> no it's, like straight up like <laughs> diet rc cola <clears throat> and chips it's actually it's funny though because at the tail end of that scene um monarch mentions like when they finally agree on a team up he mentions calling the guild to like you know get it sanctioned and then they both laugh it off yeah, the and, article of collusion. Yeah, and yeah. good they laugh it off because they're like, we're not going to do that. Yeah. And that, I don't think that's anything that would happen later on in the show. Um, it feels like, and especially, you know, we like, we do see moments where like the, the, what is the, you know, whatever of collusion, like the article of collusion, the article of collusion um, comes into play. But it's, it, I do think it's interesting to see them kind of be like, yeah, fuck the guild when so much more of the show is about having to, like, you know, do, like, the bootlicking, so to speak. Not really yeah. bootlicking, but, like, you know, ass-kissing. Just and having it's... to navigate the bureaucracy. And, wow, I can't pronounce that word. Bureaucracy. Yes. Bureaucracy. And it's not <laughs> even an inconsistency. It's not, like, later on it's like, oh, we're going to take the rules more seriously. Because mm-hmm. they do take the rules seriously. Because I think we're, I think we might be getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> we should set up the fact that that all came into place because Underbite's henchmen and the Monarch's henchmen show up at the same time yeah. to antagonize Rusty. Mm-hmm. So the so whole we... plot... Oh, I was just going to... Do we want to get into the episode? I think we should since we're we're yeah. already into the episode. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so just to set up why we're talking about bureaucracy, mm. uh, I think it's interesting because they do at first take the rules very seriously because mm. they have to have that, you know, they both go on the lawn, they both stop their antagonism right. and they have to call their bosses and be like, hey, boss, what do we do? Mm. So I feel like when they're at the party and they're just hanging out, it's not so much that later on the show takes the rules more seriously. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, maybe they're feeling a little sugar high on Diet Cola. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you know what? This one time, fuck it. We're just going to do what we're going to do. Oh, definitely. I didn't. I don't think I meant to imply that like Doc and Jackson changed their minds about the role of the guild. But it's interesting to see the characters make that decision when later on we would we see the consequences of not running things by the guild yeah. you know yeah. and i think um the monarch probably ma- makes a lot of decisions without consulting the wisdom of dr girlfriend who knows the rules and kind of guides him to follow them throughout the the series i think even later in this season yeah have to cite some guild rules so <laughs> it definitely is like their dynamic in this is way different than it is at the end because i'm and again i don't think it's a decision that the 
like I don't think it's an inconsistency. I think it's a development. Oh, absolutely. So it, it feels like they're at the point in their relationship where, you know, they're going to break up. It's rocky. And then get back together after, you know, yeah. Monarch has fixed his problems. Yes. Because <laughs> um, in that one scene, he very much disrespects uh, Dr. Girlfriend. Oh, yeah. But where she... he calls her woman. And mm-hmm. it, it's very, it's made very obvious that she's the brains of the ship. Yeah. Because he can't even get an outside line. No. <laughs> and I just love the do-it-yourself Mr. Big Pants response. Yeah. It's she, like Big she's Pants. not going to take his shit. No. Like she understands like the guild hierarchy of like, you know, she's his number two or whatever. But that doesn't mean that because they're also in a relationship. So she's not taking that from the person that she's in a relationship with. Yeah. So even over this one season, it's great to see how their relationship grows. Oh, definitely. Or kind of comes apart, I guess. But, <laughs> um. So I wanted to do a disclaimer for like any, if there are any like hardcore ventures uh, listening right now. Um. So we are doing home insecurity as if it were the third episode of the show. It is the third episode that aired. Technically, I guess, depending on who you ask, um, it's uh, Midlife Chrysalis would be the third episode. It's the third on the DVD uh, that was, you know, released way back when. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's also considered episode number three in the go team venture book so in the order that it aired um it would go um home insecurity at right after careers in science right yeah yeah i think it's good that we're getting out ahead of any potential reply guys yeah yeah exactly (laughs) fuck you dickheads (laughs) reply guys uh i don't want to see you in my mentions Mm -hmm. get (laughs) out of here in the drafts (laughs) but i no, i i i did genuinely think it was interesting and it is it's you know i was reading in that book but jackson you know based on what midlife chrysalis is about um there's a lot that happens in that episode but one of the things is that brock loses his license to kill and has to you know get it renewed uh so if they had aired that after two episodes then it wouldn't have meant anything like we want to see brock with his license to kill right for a longer period of time before it means anything to have it taken away from him. Yeah. So oh, yeah. I, t- I definitely respect that decision. And while it's a good midlife chrysalis is a good episode to further develop Dr. Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I think oh, definitely. that is the most we get from her so far in the season, I believe in terms of like her own storyline. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, I do think this one works really well as a third episode because it introduces Baron Von Underbite. Oh, absolutely. Who is mentioned in Dia de los Dangerous mm-hmm. when the boys are with the monarch. And they think and... that he's their arch. Yeah. And then it also um, is good as like an earlier episode because we get the sort of fatherly dynamic that Brock has with the boys a oh, lot yeah. more strongly than we have in the first few. Absolutely. Um, like yeah. how he leaves the number of the National Guard on the fridge as <laughs> if it's like the police or something. Um, just... <laughs> really quick and connor we can totally cut this out and i don't mean to i'm just like nitpicky yeah um there is actually no vaughn it's not baron vaughn underbite oh okay baron underbite yeah so i don't know if you i just i don't 
Or just gonna <laughs> fuck it. I'll just say Baron Underbite for the rest of the episode. But All right, I said yeah. what I said, so we'll leave it in. Yeah. But thank no, you. no, yeah. it's totally fine. But I just wanted to point out. I don't know if it was an accident or if you it know. was. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I just figured. But cool. all right, I just thought it. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just feel like you know. It, uh, yeah, no, it's cool. But speaking of Baron, uh, shit, I almost said it again. <laughs> Baron Underbite. Mm. Um. Yeah, let's just let's let's take it from the top. First scene, we get our introduction to Underland, and mm-hmm. this is much like this episode gets into more into the bureaucracy than we have before. Uh, it also, I feel like this is a good example of their kind of like wacky cast of characters. Yeah, like yeah. the tertiary, just fun one-off people. Although I feel like I don't want to knock it too hard, but the creativity on display is maybe a little lackluster compared to certain other characters <laughs> and puns. Later on, when we get introduced to a lot more of like the uh, heroes and villains that exist in this universe, we get introduced to a lot more interesting people here. Um, so it does feel a little bit more like. It's like, all right, because this one is literally, it's like, Cat Clops and Girl Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> and like a Magic 8-Ball guy will call a Manic 8-Ball, you know, because like that's, it's all ba- it's all punny, like you were saying. Yeah. And they're still great, but later on we do, we meet some really wonderful. And I kind of love that like usually the names are punny, but Girl mm. Hitler is just it's Girl, Girl Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I think it's funny because it's early on mm. and they feel lazier here. <laughs> like when they should have more ideas. <laughs> like I think the puns get better over time. Oh, yeah. oh without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. The pun principle. Although, to be fair, some of like Brick Frog has ex- pre existed Venture Brothers. Yeah. And really? he's one of the best characters that we do meet later on. Brick Frog doesn't do anything. He literally, we get to hear him talk once or twice in His the show. His only skills are. Uh, brick throwing and frog being (laughs) but even brick frog like as great as that is because i think he is like you know s tier right s tier in this this universe in terms of fan favorites i feel Mm -hmm. um i gotta come clean i don't understand that fucking rating chart whatsoever s S is super okay cool i don't don't know i made that up but well is s s is the top though right yeah all right oh like in video games yeah exactly how like somehow s is higher than a so it goes one is p two is poo three is the best (laughs) and then s is super (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sorry. This episode isn't maybe uh, super on format, but we should do a bit of housekeeping and uh, address that because I do was we? trying to think of first is the worst, second is the best, third is the one with the treasure chest. I've always heard hairy chest. Yeah, me too. I heard both. Okay, um, I, but and I always you chose went... the PG one <laughs> instead I mean, of the PG thirteen one. Yeah, just because it's like it's more. Would you rather have a treasure chest or a hairy chest? I already have a hairy chest. I would like a treasure chest, please. Well, yeah, but I feel like it's like, all right, first is the worst and second is the best. And then the third, you get a treasure chest. It's like, I don't know, give them something that's a little bit that they can be like more ambivalent about. I guess, but I, don't, I think it's 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 an interesting because if we talk about capitalism. Because we have two ends of the spectrum and then, you know, 
we can't just throw something at the other like you know there's too much at the good end of the spectrum well that's the thing i'm gonna get political with it just because someone has a treasure chest doesn't mean they're happy you know wealth doesn't buy happiness necessarily although it does buy security i'll tell you (laughs) what man i'd be happy as fuck if i had a treasure chest right now yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's true (laughs) Um, but let's talk about the venture So we get, speaking of puns, one of my favorite puns is mm. when Baron Underbite reveals that his uh, his council has betrayed him, but he is going to be uh, merciful about it mm-hmm. and gift them some Tiger Bomb. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think I wrote that down. It's like trademark venture pun is the Tiger Bomb and then the Tiger Bomb reveal. Yeah. Um, oh, Tiger <laughs> Bomb is something I think about like every day. <laughs> <laughs> and like what a unique like kind of obscure product to include in oh, your definitely tiger bomb <laughs> like yeah. i didn't even really know what it was until then and that's like one of the things that i like too and like it happens later with like handy dandy yes it, i was gonna bring that up it's like they just slip in these real things that where it's like somebody watching of a certain age is going to be like, why the fuck are they talking about this? What are you watching? Like a parent walking in on like their kid watching Venture Brothers or something. And I think it's those little details that like as fantastical as this world is really ground it and make you like relate to it. But so as that opening scene is, I also, I really like that underbite has um, gifts under their chairs, like Oprah style. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that opening scene is, is so great because underbite is like a sinister, he's like a real like super villain. Like he's a big muscle guy with like an iron jaw. He doesn't look human. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think it's like Doc is such an idiot <laughs> where you're just kind of like, wait, why does this guy hate him? Yeah. And it's like because that's this universe only exists to them in like. If you dislike if you hold a grudge, like it's not just holding a grudge, you become that person's fucking arch enemy. That becomes it, your profession. It's yeah. a professional grudge. Yeah. And just in terms of even uh, uh, Baron Underbite versus the monarch is if the monarch was done with his henchman, he just lashes out in fury, right? And just darts the closest person. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not based on any sort of deduction and it's just blind passion. Whereas uh, Underbite had to secure the tigers, mm-hmm. secure the bombs, affix the bombs <laughs> to the tigers, right. and then get the product mm-hmm. to leave under their chairs. And he actually knew who betrayed him. That's true. And that's also, I that sh- it shows the difference in how they operate as villains. Because yeah. the monarch is very chaotic and... It's like his sole purpose in life is to be the archvillain of Rusty Venture. It's not even like he says that he's going to kill Rusty all the time. But if he killed Rusty, what would he do with his life? Exactly. You know, so like he can't he's never he's not actually going to do that. But then Baron Underbite is like, you know, he runs his regime like it's actually a fascist country you know so it's there he has so much more control that he can snap his fingers and get those tigers and if anything like you were saying is any monarch he's not thinking about that he's killing those henchmen it's that 
he missed an opportunity to arch Rusty in some small way. And he's just angry, you know, and just like reacting and because he can't see past arch Rusty Venture. He's ruled by his emotions. Mm -hmm. And I do love when we get the reason why Underbite hates Rusty. It's something so mundane. Mm, absolutely betraying your lab partner (laughs) oh well i don't know if i'd call it mundane he lost his lower jaw yeah (laughs) but i mean like yeah (laughs) also later on it's or maybe now too because we only hear it from one source but um it's debatable as to whether that is actually doc's fault or not Mm -hmm. yeah um but i suppose it is it is mundane the way he phrases it yeah the the how sacred he holds the lab partnership partner yeah it's a sacred bond. <laughs> yeah. Um I love how helpless Doc feels when Brock is going away. Yeah. It's like Yeah. And it he I don't it's just so low stakes and he kind of knows it, but he's just like I don't he's like you know, he doesn't have anybody to do the laundry basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of Brock for setting healthy boundaries with his boss. He's yeah. like, no, it's the same time every year. I'm going to go. I'm going. You're going <laughs> to be fine. There's the number for the National Guard. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like we were uh, we were saying earlier that Aaron started to bring up is we really get um, a lot of Brock's like parental relationship with the boys yeah, in like this scene. When Hank... When he has to leave and he calls Hank, runs with scissors, like he's playing along with his little pretend game. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is fucking adorable. <laughs> and he, like, when Hank's like, hey, Brock, like, watch this and tries to, like, swing out of the car, but his foot <laughs> gets caught and, you know, obviously smashes his face into the ground. And Brock is still like, he's like, that's real good, Hank, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's a really good, uh, like, he's a very good, I, I wanted to write down he's a good dad, but he's not a good dad. He's not, like, on that level, but he's a very good nanny. He's he a, humors and loves yeah. the boys. Well, he's, yeah. a be- he's a better dad than Rusty is. Yeah. And I think that it's, into, I wrote down that it's, um, Hank sees more of a possibility for parental approval from Brock than he does from Doc. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I. It's this, I. This is really the first time. Is this the first time that we see like the way that Hank is always like, you know, like? But I'm always on Brock's team, as yeah. he'll put it later on. I think it is. Yeah, and I think in addition to Rusty fearing for his safety, like not wanting Brock to leave, I think he's mm-hmm. also like, I don't want to do like the parenting thing by myself. Yeah, I'm yeah, very exactly. bad at it. <laughs> I also love how. Brock says that Hank is the man of the house while he's gone, which is just like a very, you know, it's positive encouragement for Hank Mm -hmm. and it bolsters his self-esteem. And I love how Rusty is so fucking insecure (laughs) that at when Hank mentions that he's the man of the house, Mm -hmm. he tries to fight Hank. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love that's one of my favorite scenes because it illustrates um Doc's massive insecurities that are rooted in masculinity first and foremost and that comes out in a lot of details later on but like even right away you know so it shows that it shows Dean's like very sensitive to these things um which is any kind of conflict really uh Hank does not understand what is going on so it's like Hank's kind of pure like naivety that makes him like makes him hank um 
And then all of that is just kind of Doc and Jackson's, like, the influences that they get from, like, these melodramatic movies and TV shows that they get to kind of, like, flex this, like, in they use it in the lowest stake scenes. <laughs> and it's just so melodramatic and, like, almost cliche in what Doc is saying, like, oh, big man, huh? You know, it's like you can see it in a 19, like, a stage play in the 1950s. <laughs> it's like a dad and his son fighting and the mother starts crying and he's like look what you did to your mother but, you <laughs> and know. that's why uh, Dean says you're tearing this family apart <laughs> when Brock is gone for literally 30 seconds at this point yeah <laughs> and then when we cut to um, him starting his trip we get the nice like off-brand Led Zeppelin playing in his I car oh, I yeah. love RC Zeppelin <laughs> I have thought about um, the music that Brock plays in his car so much um before we started doing this i don't know if we've talked about it at all yet i don't think so but i think this probably because this is the first time that we actually get to hear it but i i love the like whatever like you called it rc zeppelin yeah there's a better joke in there i don't like steel steel uh steel yeah yeah whatever but <laughs> I didn't, have we established at this point that Brock's favorite band is Led Zeppelin in no. the show? I, but it, it comes out later, and there's a lot of nods to it. Saying you don't uh, like Zeppelin, <laughs> it's it's pretty much implied that like for you know Brock pretty much only listens to Led Zeppelin, so yeah. it's like this really weird like Led Zeppelin sound alike music that is also has filters on it to sound like it's coming through a car radio. Yeah, but it it fucking rips. It, yeah, it's very believable. Like I I almost would have thought maybe it was just you know maybe they got some Zepp mm. royalty free. But no. <laughs> yeah, nope, no way. <laughs> no. They, um, did you guys ever see the special feature on the School of Rock DVD no. where it's they shoot it's from the last scene of the movie like you know the battle of the band scene from the movie and it is it's Jack Black begging Led Zeppelin to let them <laughs> use immigrant song so that's how difficult it was to get Led Zeppelin yeah. music and stuff. So based on Venture Brothers Budget. having trouble <laughs> yeah. having trouble getting everybody's free for the <laughs> fucking opening of <laughs> Which season is like two. Not an iconic yeah, song there's as much as absolutely. Oh well, yeah. There's no fucking way that they <laughs> ever would have been able to afford a Led Zeppelin song. Yeah. Cause wasn't School of Rock the first time immigrant song was like in a movie? Maybe we can look it up. Because yeah. we have the internet at our fingertips, but the question is, are we gonna? It'll be in the show notes if I remember. <laughs> um, I love the scene where Helper is tucking Rusty into bed, mm. and oh I feel God, like yeah. this is the most variety we've heard in Helper's vocalizations. Like Helper sings, <laughs> he makes like it's his most involved performance, I think, and I love when he just sees the new robot schematics mm. and he's dabbing at his eyes with the tissue <laughs> as if he's crying mm -hmm. and he just I love how he just has like bindle supplies on hand oh, yeah, for yeah. him to assemble. Like he it's, knew this was coming. Yeah. <laughs> I I love that it's just cuz it's just it's helper's instinct is like take care of Rusty. And Rusty really has not changed since he was a child, so Helper is still like, oh, I have to put Rusty to bed because he <laughs> fell asleep while he was playing, you know? Yeah. But I also love that <laughs> Rusty's blueprints for Gardo just say new robot yeah. on the top of it. 
and that's why you know it goes back to the storytelling storytelling economy we were discussing it's just like you you see a blueprint with new robot you have helper freak out mm-hmm. we know what the emotional stakes are <laughs> exactly yeah it's perfect and then shortly after that once the two kinds of henchmen attack rusty's mm-hmm. bedroom we get the first episode of panic room oh yeah and i oh go ahead the boys seem they say that they don't know what it is and mm-hmm. i'm thinking that i mean they have to have been there before so i'm certain that that is a, a result of being cloned yeah that's not... very possible <laughs> yeah. that that is the case i uh, never thought about that but yeah that makes perfect sense that like they probably have been there before and just don't remember it from the mind yeah. wipe um i just i also love that like that is doc, that's Doc's reaction to having the bugs on his chest. Yeah, is he hits the panic room button, and <laughs> everything doesn't... that ensues is just like classic venture overreaction panic that makes things a thousand times fucking worse. <laughs> and the two things I want to point out about that is number one, I love how that scene still illustrates the differences between uh Underbite's crew and the Monarch's crew. Yes, where Underbite's henchman like lets the scorpion out and everything goes okay, mm-hmm. but Twenty Four has the tarantula like stuck on him <laughs> and can't get it off. And I love how when Rusty sees that there are bugs on him, he doesn't like shake his sheet. Mm-hmm. He doesn't knock him away. He hits the panic room button, which doesn't solve the problem. No. Because no. the bugs are still on him <laughs> yeah, in the panic come with room. Him. Exactly. Yeah. And there's I some, I love that point about the monarch henchman and the difference between monarch crew and really any other uh arches henchman is that there's another when they're standing out front talking after that scene behind 24 and he's he unfortunately is not uh, credited as 24 yet but this is our first instance where we get to really hear 24 because 21 is in this episode too um but all the monarch crew are standing around like trying to look so fucking tough behind yeah, 21 is behind like smoking him. a cigarette yeah and they're all just like they have like their hands on each other's shoulders and they're just like tough guy like (laughs) hard styling behind him well that's the thing is part of the joke of the scene of them releasing the bugs is that there's the two henchmen are standing right next to each other Mm. and they're so involved in their work that they don't notice there's someone like less than three feet away and uh 24 says to the underbite henchman hey like take this out front like he's a parent like chastising a child (laughs) Mm -hmm. What I took note of is when you talk about the tough guy stuff and the posturing. Yeah, yeah. He says, meet me out front. But when we cut back, he's in the monarch mobile and he like hangs out of it and points and he like poses like, hey, you dicks. (laughs) And so that means he must have walked with this dude, got inside the monarch mobile (laughs) and then jumped out like he had to set up that pose. So they're really trying hard to be uh, intimidating. Which yes. kind of is like the whole showy aspect of being an archvillain, you know, like mm-hmm. it's more like play fighting than it is actually trying to kill anybody. Yeah. So there's so much performance involved in it. So it would make sense that he's going out of his way to do that. Yeah. Oh, I actually, I just watched, uh, I rewatched, I should say, uh, the Lepidopterists yesterday. And there's the moment where Monarch tells JJ that it's like fencing and that they're not actually supposed to kill each other. <laughs> uh, panic Room. Oh, so this is Jodie Foster. <laughs> one of my favorite things is that Dean has the technical knowledge of make a tourniquet 
and tie off, you know, so that the poison doesn't reach the brain. And Hank has like the critical thinking skills to be like, um, you know, like use Rusty's pant leg as a tourniquet. They have absolutely no sense of real world application. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that it's like they 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 have it, but they don't know how to fucking use it. Yeah. And it's not their fault. Hank is resourceful and Dean is full of knowledge, but mm-hmm. there's no way that they're going to apply any of that properly. No. Yeah. <laughs> like how Hank sees, oh, there are two deadly bugs on my father. Uh, let me smack him in the head with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> that gave, that hurt Yeah, this time. I don't know why. I've seen this, I've watched this show a million and a half times, but this time through that, it hurt. He really fucking hit him. Yeah, he nailed Rusty with that fucking fire extinguisher. He definitely has a concussion for sure. <laughs> holy, to- or is yeah, holy Toledo pops is in trouble. <laughs> and on top of that, they landed in the panic room, which has no padding on the floor. Yeah. It's just a concrete floor. I never mm-hmm. thought about that. Yeah, and don't they go in backwards? Yeah, they land on like their. You would break your neck immediately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they lost a couple clones that way. Oh yeah. yeah, I was just thinking the same exact thing. And is it at that point that we're introduced to Gardo? It's when he, uh, Dean goes outside uh, to get, he goes into the lab to try and find anti-venom while Hank is uh, tying off the tourniquet, which entails him actually strangling his father. Because yeah. he doesn't, he's like, I have, you know, cut off circulation to the brain. Okay, That's, tie it around his neck. Yeah, Definitely some sort of like subconscious desire to choke rusty (laughs) yeah yeah this freudian phase of yours has gotten too far (laughs) well that's the thing i thought was funny is that um rusty accuses hank of going through the freudian phase Mm. but when dean describes gardo as Mm. this like metal monster with dad's face that is trying to attack him he says it's just like my dreams so i think dean is the one having the freudian (laughs) maybe yeah and Uh, that just kind of points to how much of a um oblivious person rusty is that he can't see that yeah yeah absolutely but i love gardo's intro because i think that there's is you know there's the joke that dean has the the hover boots on and he's even he's sleeping with them on so his feet are like hovering off of his bed which i think is wonderful but when he sees Gardo and Gardo yep. says like he's going to exterminate him, you know, there's the joke Dean pees his pants, but it's genuine. It's really clever writing because he's like, all right, he pees his pants and that shorts out the hover boot. So he drops to the ground and like just misses uh, the punch from Gardo. So when I was watching it today, I was really just like, damn. That's like some straight up action movie shit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which they, that's some piss action right there. They're so good. Oh, dude, don't even get me started on with this. We, this can be a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the, we'll the go back gold, to the PP pod. No, it, in, uh, the golden hour. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this happened in careers in science too. P played a big part in the. Yeah. Just. Don't underestimate a motif the power of going. pee, y'all. <laughs> this show's full of stay, piss and vinegar. I'm just going to say hydrated. It. Yeah. And you might you might save a life. <laughs> um, I love Dean running in the broken hover boots. Oh, yeah. I didn't even, real, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> just like kind of, it's like this almost like, ru- like trying to run in roller skates. <laughs> like you're picking up your whole leg and like plopping it down because you have to step <laughs> so carefully. Yeah. I also love when uh, Hank asks doc he's like hey gardo does that stand for anything and doc's just like yeah 
Mm-hmm. And we never find out what it is. No, I mean, and that's like, we very rarely find out what acronyms in this show actually stand for. Yeah. But one of my favorite things uh, right that happens right when Dean runs back in is that Doc is Doc is only going to ground Hank for strangling him. Like he's about to say you're grounded after uh, he wakes up and assumes that his son was trying to kill him. <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't want to engage with parenting at all. Yeah. To the point where he's just going to ground his son. But it's also because Rusty never learned how to do anything no you know i'm sure he never actually got grounded you know yeah so all he knows is like uh gr- grounded because gr- grounded means stay away from him because we repeat the trauma you know that was inflicted upon to us it's it can be generational you know and Hell uh, yeah bro rusty's got to break the cycle I was yeah. thinking about your dad while I was watching this episode <laughs> for some reason. Maybe we'll come to it when we get to the notes. But... I can't imagine why. <laughs> I don't have an absentee father. Um, I think um, it's funny that Rusty gave Gardo his own face. It's like such an obvious way that he's trying to reclaim his strength and masculinity <laughs> in the face of like having Brock right there and living in the shadow of his father. He's like, this is how I'm going to be the big man. I'm going to put my face on a robot (laughs) and make it have my voice. (laughs) Oh man. And then he lactates out of fear. And then (laughs) I love Hank's response. Dean's lactating too. Pointing to Dean who Dean who peed his pants, which is, I just love like, they don't, they don't know anything nope it's nope. like and I, so i've been re-watching the show recently and there's late in a later episode i think it might be an operation prom but hank asks the alchemist if you know his he has a real dick oh, because think he thinks that he's transgender because because, he likes al, because al is gay and then he they're thinks like you're transgender <laughs> <laughs> hank aren't you ashamed of your ignorance like even just a little and hank is like yeah constantly so <laughs> yeah. it's not pre- i don't think it's present now but i love that it does get to a point where the boys are like well we really don't know anything about the world or human bodies I or think that's in the episode where orpheus is trying to open a portal to hell oh on the front lawn yeah it is <laughs> And that just goes to show, like, you can't just get all your education from some learning beds oh. by having your grandpap teach a 1960s science. Oh, yeah. You got to uh, go out in the real world, get I, some street smarts. I love that it's not even updated whatsoever. Yeah. Rusty was just like, my dad, my father recorded all of this stuff already. So just, you know, use yeah. that. Because it worked so well for me, I'm just going to re-employ it for my sons. <laughs> and I'm sure we all have memories of being like in elementary school and middle school and like being like, wait, when the fuck is this textbook from? Yeah. This is yeah. like out of date. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if it ever occurred to me how out of date it was, but I definitely remember it or being like, oh, wow, these books have been here for a long time yep. without thinking like, well, these are history books, <laughs> so they sh- they get updated like really frequently and i'm thinking now you know like you don't really remember like when you learned how to do basic stuff like use a dishwasher do laundry you know like pump gas or something and Mm -hmm. i think that like the boys wouldn't know any of that if brock didn't teach them oh yeah (laughs) they would just be even less prepared for life without him because i don't think rusty 
he teaches them what he, he wants them to know, which is how to be super scientists, at least Dean. Yeah. But not actually, you know, how to take care of yourself. Because <laughs> I, I think he struggles with that in a sense, too. Oh, yeah. But a lot of that is because Rusty doesn't think past himself. No. And I love that um, it is just, uh, or maybe I'll wait because we have the uh, the monarch and doctor girlfriend, but there's when Rusty tries to contact Brock um, and he's like, come on, it's an emergency and I can't get to the fridge. I know. It's I just like he doesn't, he does not care about his son's safety. No. And it's because he's not thinking about it because he's like, I'm in here and I'm hungry. So I need Brock yeah. to take care of this so I can go and see what's in the fridge. Yeah. And it's not like Doc even would know what was in the fucking refrigerator. He'd have to go, he'd like go and he'd look and he'd complain about this and that. And then he'd like settle on something. And I definitely think that it's more that than it is him being complacent about knowing that he can replace the boys. Uh, yeah. That's like a secondary thing to it's him. because he you know growing up had to make sure that he took care of himself exactly yeah uh, in the way of like i need to eat food yeah you know and like what you were saying aaron about how rusty's more concerned with teaching the boys to be super scientists i think that takes even less of a priority than like he wants to teach the boys how not to annoy him. Yeah, <laughs> like that is his fatherly goal. Mm -hmm. So it just I feel like that works in a uh, synchronicity with like, oh, he's just fucking hungry, and he's gonna go to the fridge like you were saying, and there's gonna be like Tostino's pizza rolls. Oh, we're not sponsored by the way, but Tostino's hit us up, <laughs> and it's toast. Is it Tostino's or Totino's? You've said it. Three different ways. Now, <laughs> um, One and, of them, but right. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not enough money. of a pizza roll connoisseur to know. No. Yeah. You know the one. I think it's Totino's. Totino's. He he'd open up the bag of Totino's and be like, "How do I do this?" That's my <laughs> rusty. I'm so sorry. I gotta go. Thank you guys for watching a very adventure. Go, watch. It's been great. Guess sign on to Twitter right now and <laughs> tweet an apology to James Urbaniak. Be like, why? Like how see. they have to do it? <laughs> huh? Are you saying for I the was telling to you to do oh, it, but okay. now I guess the audience can do it too. Yeah, join in the fun. <laughs> yeah. Apologize on our behalf. Yeah. Well don't don't Hashtag... please don't bother James Urbaniak on our behalf. Yeah, I'm sure he's a busy man. <laughs> Hashtag apology train. <laughs> um but the scene where Monarch gets a phone call from his henchman to let him know the situation at the venture compound is uh we were talking about it at the beginning of the episode where he asks doctor girlfriend he's like she he well he doesn't ask he tells her to get baron underbite on the phone and then she's she like i don't know suggests that he sure she's like why do i have to do it and he yells at her yeah. he's like just do it woman yeah and then she says do it yourself mr big pants <laughs> and that's when we get the classic line of a uh, monarch being like how do i get in outside line <laughs> which is honestly really relatable because i mean it shouldn't be when it's your like fucking business essentially yeah but i've totally been in that situation it's like wait how the fuck does this phone work <laughs> is it nine is it nine then one yeah is it different if it's a local call sometimes it's different on different phones in the building depending on what line they're attached to we have a That's whole up. long distance code where i work that you have to know to put in 
when it's not in the area. I feel like that's really shitty considering the chances of you having to make an emergency phone call are yep. a lot higher than other big time jobs. <laughs> and that's the magic of the Venture Brothers is you get the fun superhero hijinks, but you also get relatable workplace comedy. Exactly. <laughs> like There's when a... he accidentally pulls up his resume. Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> I love that. And, and when <laughs> with the Diet Coke and he said uh, she says that she must have grabbed the one wrong one and monarch says god it's like having my dad do the shopping <laughs> yeah it's like i i get what he means even though it's like well monarch doesn't have you know his dad's dead and blah 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 and it's like well all right let me think on that joke for a minute it's like having you know your mom normally does the shopping let's say at your house and then she can't do it one day and it's like all right dad goes and he gets he's just like he's like all right this is right and just grabs something <laughs> and i love the i love the scene with the resume i tried to read it but i couldn't it wasn't high enough resolution on my screen mm -hmm. to see any of what's on it i thought about that too but i love the it's the sprinkling of the little like real world details of the fact that monarch tries rebooting his computer and then the boot up takes too long and that's always like when time slows down right yes. is when someone's waiting for you and your computer's taking a long time mm -hmm. and, and you i love feel just... like awkward about it yeah exactly and i love the little excuse of him telling a uh, baron underbite I i've got a lot of extensions <laughs> and that's the scene where he says that they're engaged in a game of cat and also cat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I love that Baron Underbite has the phantasm ball. Oh, yeah. I made a note of that, too. Um, that's like that's got to be a phantasm reference. There's no such ball in other media, right? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. It's, it's a 100% a phantasm reference. And I love that Monarch just pours his drink on it. Yeah. Um, but that whole scene of uh, Monarch does a It's a pretty good ambush. Like, yeah. It's just Baron Underbite's so on his shit that he is like you mm -hmm. know deflecting those lasers left and right and i love how they just are like all right we did it we tried let's just we're cool now <laughs> yeah it's monarch getting tired of like the fencing that he talks about later on in the series it's yeah. like all right yeah we both we got to do this and then, then let's yeah. just come on because he doesn't have the pat sorry no. i was just gonna say <laughs> it's keeping him from arching rusty yeah yeah he doesn't have the same passion against underbite so he's like, do we have to? Yeah. He's just Mean going through the motions. Yeah. Meanwhile, for Rusty, he, it's a big production. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It has to be because, you know, it's like it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. They live on fear. I, I was yeah. going to say it like 15 more times, but I didn't want okay. to take up our time. Because <laughs> that's what she does in the movie. She's, you know. It's been a while since I've seen it. But if y'all haven't, haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Do 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 do. <laughs> yes. Um, I love that in the venture universe, the six million dollar man has to reimburse the government for yeah. the money that they paid to <laughs> fucking you know give him bionic limbs and stuff. Do you know how long it takes to pay six million dollars back on a government salary? <laughs> he didn't even ask for it. No, no, just, yeah. yeah, it's connected to my nerves. Oh <laughs> yeah, that was. That was connected to my brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that's something that I realized in how infrequently and short the that stuff is, is that that was really the only note I took before we get back to fucking Monarch and Underbite. Uh, 
in which underbite uh invokes the sanctity of a lab partnership mm-hmm. um yeah that is my it's my uh government i wrote down the government salary line oh i also wrote down when uh brock is fighting steve summers mm. and he says let's see if these are bionic <laughs> uh, yeah oh yeah <laughs> and he hits I... him right in the cape canaveral oh yes but uh, yeah then it skips straight to a lab partnership as a sacred trust so i want to know what all 37 points of Monarch's 37-point ongoing yeah. plan to ruin Dr. Venture's life is. Oh, yeah. And Which what is... point is he on now? Yeah. <laughs> He's probably still on step two or three, I would imagine. Yeah. But maybe not. It is the most organized we've seen the Monarch be at anything. The fact that he yeah. like had the time. And that just shows, uh, you know, the passion of his fury. Is that he's able to make this this kind of action plan? Yeah, for his hatred. Should we talk about the uh, the great scene where uh, twenty one comes over to the underbite guys and offers them some brewskis, and I... they all just kind of like shoot the shit with each other? Yeah, like that. Wasn't there an instance in like World War One where it was like Christmas or something, and everybody came out of their trench and just like hung out? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it always made me think of that. It's like, I mean, I don't know if it's been substantiated or whatever, but that story is out there. It's, yeah. but it's one of those stories that, and this is just me talking on my ass because I don't know. <laughs> um, I think would have the Christmas Day armistice, probably something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. And here's how we cover our asses. It could be apocryphal. Boom. That's all <laughs> we gotta say. Disclaimer done. <laughs> But I love how it goes back to the kind of the real world logistics of this universe where each of the people is like saying how they came Mm -hmm. to be a henchman. And the one guy being like, I used to be hooked on crack cocaine. Uh I'm on to turn my life around. So I don't that scene always kind of reminded me of like the Grapes of Wrath. But I don't know. I think it's supposed to be referencing a war film, if anything. But I don't know what. Maybe I'm trying to think. I mean, I'm not a big war film guy. I would imagine maybe closer to a vietnam flick yeah yeah maybe something like platoon which i have not seen i'm trying to think of vietnam movies i haven't seen but you know what that's for another podcast forrest gump <laughs> it's probably a forrest gump reference i've definitely never on. seen forrest <laughs> gump i promise and there's um an uh Ugh. moment that we get that is continuity later on Hmm. Um, where 21 is talking about how oh, he was yeah. kidnapped at the age of 15, and that's <laughs> how he became a henchman. Mm-hmm. You get the full story on that much later. Oh, yeah, and it's wonderful. I love how... Consi- and, like, that's actually something... Because they there was a, a new interview published recently with Doc and Jackson. I think it was uh, at NPR, um, yeah. kind of talking about the show's cancellation and how, you know, unfortunately, it's not looking like we're going to be getting any new venture brothers anytime soon which yeah. is a super bummer but we have so much now that is accessible to us and there's just so much there and talking about it like this keeps it alive yeah yeah um but jackson said or it was you know i think it was jackson one of them talked about how you know they always knew that like if somebody blasted a hole in the wall it was going to stay in the wall until like you know they would either like tarp it up or have somebody like fix it or whatever so i love that even right away with uh 21 saying that that he was kidnapped at 15 to join the monarch crew they were like all right so that's what that is we're gonna have to figure that out later yeah and they they do a very good job of like filling all of those blanks in oh yeah 
Um, yeah, in such a way that like when you go and rewatch it and make a podcast about it, you're like, <laughs> oh, this still fits. Even the season one stuff yeah. still fits in with later seasons at a time where like, meanwhile, at Awkward Hunger Force, <laughs> they would like frequently die or get like obliterated. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Everything just resets mm-hmm. after 11 minutes. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the moment where Rusty chooses to go try to get helper back. Um, and he has all like the flashbacks to help her doing like such sweet things for him and the boys. Mm. And then I wanted to ask you guys if you thought he had any genuine remorse for the way he was acting toward helper or if yeah. he was just like, OK, I got to manipulate him into <laughs> coming back and helping me by pretending to be nice. I think it was both. Yeah, I, I was, think yeah. that Rusty was like, it benefits me if helper comes to save us. But then he was also like, well, you know. I, I did hurt his feelings, which yeah. I didn't mean to do. Which so, you I know. feel like Helper is maybe one of the only people in his life he's not bitter toward. You know, he's yeah. bitter towards his sons, towards Brock mm-hmm. for, you know, being arguably like a better man than him <laughs> yeah. in every way. Well, yeah. And then, you know, obviously towards his father and the world in general. But mm-hmm. Helper ha- has never done him wrong. No. So. Um, Helper's been there to take care of him since for, you know, pretty his entire life. So it's like the the lifelong nanny. Yeah. You know? Um, and it does bum me out because I think you're right, Max. I think it is a bit of both. Mm-hmm. But the way he says it, I wrote down emotional manipulation. <laughs> like, I was like, no, yeah. helper doesn't deserve that. You're just thinking about how this could serve you. Right. But he is genuinely remembering all the times that helper has been there for him. So I do think deep down he does uh, appreciate helper. And there, there are moments later on in the series where he um is much more openly like not i want to say affectionate but more like familial with helper in oh a way yeah that he is like this is my robot and i love him yeah without <laughs> saying it out loud but <laughs> right it's like you know when um they move to the city and they have uh jbot and yeah. it's like all right jbot's like taking care of stuff but they don't think like all right we can get rid of helper and there's a moment in that I don't remember what episode it's in. I think it's Tanks for Nothing when Helper tries to get up the stairs and he can't because he's on wheels. But then later on, he ends up on the patio, which means that Rusty must have picked him up (laughs) and carried him over the stairs. Also, that's interesting because it's canon that Helper has legs. Because there's a scene where Helper eats a bunch of chemicals and then has to shit them out. So he grows legs <laughs> so he can open up his little like chair wheel butt and shit out acid. It is literally one of the greatest moments in this entire fucking show. Yeah. And those legs never appear again. No. And, but I love that they wrote that scene. Yeah. I love that they were like, all right, so Helper is just, he's walking around fucking Rusty's lab eating test tubes. For full fucking of shit. whatever reason, yeah. and Doc is yelling at him that he's gonna get a stomach ache, and <laughs> so then he grows legs so that he can shit on the floor, yeah. which is just the bottom of his body cavity opening up and like firing out a hunk of like a- acid shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, wonderful. But I did think that there's a a fun little Easter egg um, in Helper, like the flashback montage of Helper being sweet is there is a shot from Midlife Chrysalis 
which is technically a later episode. Oh yeah, I, I wanted that. to. I I was it's when wondering. He hugs Brock um, right before he leaves to oh, take his exam. His little lunch. Because <laughs> I thought it was because they have the shot of a helper like trying to get the vomit out of Dean's space helmet. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, if the production codes were reversed, I wonder if they cut any scenes that would have happened later. But I guess not. They just left in the midlife crystal scene. Yeah, that's that's it because the other two are from ones that we've seen already. Yeah. Which I mean, even seeing that scene, if it hadn't happened yet, it still kind of fits. You know, it's like oh, it's oh without just a doubt. example of helper being, you know, the robot nanny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being kind and caring. Yeah. Speaking of kind and caring, uh, Brock does a does a pretty good deed for his new friend Steve Summers and Sasquatch. I like how you can see the disgust in his face when Steve Summers is telling him about his romantic relationship with Bigfoot, <laughs> but Brock is still non judgmental. Yeah, yeah. It's much like uh, you know uh, how they react to Anna Bal- uh, Baldovich, Lieutenant Baldovich. Yeah. yeah, it's like they're clearly horrified, but they don't like they're not uh, they don't comment about it. That's not going like to be that. rude. I think yeah. it's way more appropriate to be horrified in this scenario than yeah. it would be in like a oh I am frightened by this woman's looks versus <laughs> this guy fucks Bigfoot. Because Brock even says uh you know when they talk about the reveal that uh Bigfoot's a dude. And Brock didn't know that until he shaved his genital region. Yes. And Steve Summers is like ribbing him, being like, Bigfoot doesn't have anything you haven't seen before. Yeah. And Brock says, Bigfoot is something I haven't seen before. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what ends up, uh, Brock shaves Bigfoot because they, but the army is closing in on them. Like it turns out that that's what they're looking for because uh, they have the roads closed off and stuff. So when Brock is first going out into the wilderness, he has to like, you know, sweet talk the garden stuff. So yeah, and by sweet talk you mean just say like I'm going camping and drive away. <laughs> yeah, but that's sweet talk for Brock Sampson yeah. because yeah. <laughs> he li- he could legally have killed that man. That is very and true. D- uh, nothing would have come of it. Um, <laughs> but he shaves Bigfoot and then makes Steve Summers a wig, uh, which attributes to one of my favorite lines in the show. Or in this episode, which is, dude, that was shaved Bigfoot and Steve Summers in a wig made out of shaved Bigfoot. (laughs) And I also I love how that like addresses like a potential plot hole or like kind of trope, I guess. Yeah. Where it's like, how would they get away with that? And it's like, no, no, they didn't. Because the first soldier. Yeah. The first soldier just waves them on. No problem. Because he's still hard eyed by Brock Samson. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that, uh, you know, I feel like we would have accepted that, but it's such in the nature of Docs and Jackson's writing to kind of like tackle those tropes yeah. and take them a bit more seriously. Oh, without a doubt. Subvert those expectations that we have. Yeah. Without being like, check this out. Or oh, subverting yeah. your expectations. <laughs> As every every choice they make has to remain true to the characters that they've written and like the world that they created, you mm-hmm. know? So, and that's why would take them three years between seasons. And it's also one of the benefits of only having the two of them right. Yeah. Which is something else they talk about in that interview is like if they, um, 
they would yeah. have to break someone in to develop a writer's room exactly. so that they would be like on the same page because they almost have this like telepathic link yeah. where they know where each other's at in terms of the writing in the universe mm -hmm. whereas someone might have like a slightly different take on it like, that's not uh, congruous with their content. It's the third mind theory, yeah. you know? So like cuz the Venture Brothers is the product of the collective mind of Doc Hammer and Jackson Public. And if it was just one of them, it wouldn't be what it is. You know, it is like the mystical mind it in the air. It's yeah. like our podcast is the third mind of you and me making bullshit noises with our mouth. Yeah. <laughs> um, where were we with... We're uh, Steve Summers. They're driving away. And yeah. Is, is that soldier, the soldier that has the line, dude, that was Shaved Bigfoot and Steve Summers with the beard made out of Shaved Bigfoot. Mm. Is that James Urbaniak? Because he's one of the soldiers. I he's think credited as soldier too. It might have been. He's he's Cat Clops. Yeah. Which I never, I never realized I until know. I looked it in, who, it looked into it today. I made a note. I wanted to know who does Girl Hitler. Mia Baron. The same lady. I think we were talking about her last time. No, that was um, a different actress. <laughs> what was the last episode we did was Careers in Science. Mm-hmm. Mia Baron is also known for her role as uh, we'll be introduced to this character later on, uh, Molotov Cocktees. Aha. That should be next time, right? Um, I should know that, but I don't. Because it's uh, Incredible Mr. Brisby next time. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Then that's, that is uh, our introduction to Molotov and uh, contains the first uh, scene that I ever watched from this show mm -hmm. nina hellman was the actress that right. we were talking about last time who uh she was lieutenant baldovich and mia baron also plays uh she has many roles but her other super notable one is sally impossible oh really yeah very cool we get to meet sally in a few episodes yes um we get a go team helper in yeah. this yeah. one they make the, an h it, i love it the <laughs> only go team helper we ever get in the series i think right yeah i don't i don't recall there ever being another instance of that no although he deserves it in so many moments oh, yeah. yeah helper's landing gear moment in the family that slays together stays together is <laughs> better than most television oh yeah it's without a doubt so good it's so intense like i was watching it the other day and i was just like i've seen this so many times why is my heart beating this fast because it's and, helper yeah it's because i drank four cups of coffee oh, that, that's, <laughs> yeah. you know whatever Occam's razor Occam's ha -ha. cup of coffee occam's got a cup of coffee occam yeah or occam got a poop now. you know you know whose cup of coffee i want to hear about who schrodinger's is the is there cream or is there not cream? I mean, you can, yeah. <laughs> is I it mean, decaf or normal? Oh yeah, that's a better one. If you can't see through the mug, then is there coffee in it? Like it's a or travel is it mug. Empty? I mean, yeah, maybe or good. maybe just the angle that you're sitting at is oh, okay. like you can't see into like the top of the mug, and the coffee would be at a temperature where, it, like, it's not hot, so there's no steam coming off. Oh, of okay. It. So you're saying 
okay, so it's the coffee existing or not. not I'm talking what about the state of very the potent uh, philosophical stuff. Mm-hmm. So the coffee cup's on the table, but Schrodinger is on the ground playing with his cat, and that's why he can't see from above whether or not there's coffee <laughs> in the cup or not. Uh, thank you for um, elaborating. You read my mind. Yeah, the third mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, the last note I had was that Underbite and Monarch laugh off guild protocol, uh, which we already talked about. But it's it is interesting to note that um, that is taken very seriously and has very serious consequences in later episodes. Yeah. Although I just feel like in general season two forward they do kind of get the characters into more high stakes situations particularly involving the guild of calamitous intent oh 100 percent. yeah this is like the farthest we've dipped in so far but we definitely like there'll be much more uh guild stuff to come oh yeah in the in the coming seasons and it's not like it's all like political stuff but it's never like boring oh yeah because I, I guess yeah. because people's lives are at stake because everybody has lasers and whatnot. <laughs> and I mean, the the show is as such where any character, regardless of their role, can make a Clarissa Explains It All joke. And it's yes. fun, you know? <laughs> so it's not like they're like talking about dry, like this and that. It's like, if it's happening, it's with uh you know one of them is hunter who's fucking you know making wild accusations and standing and slamming his fist on the desk and stuff uh yeah they really do like they have all these plates spinning right but they're so well balanced that it's just like a little bit of each it's like the really silly jokes and then it's the bureaucracy stuff and then it's the 90s nicktoons snick references exactly you know and because it goes back between them all so quickly you don't feel like you're getting like super bored with like the politics of everything yeah because in a second someone's going to mention are you afraid the dark and on top of that you know you're invested in what's happening oh exactly yeah like i was just gonna say that it is very compelling like you know you want to see what's going to happen with the different bureaucratic institutions that make up these characters world yeah um this is the second time in a row that we have um a post-credit sequence that is just helper (laughs) well it's helper and rusty but it's helper centric Mm -hmm. i think i forgot to watch this one too i got so into i took so many notes about the credits that i I think i skipped it by accident honestly it's really wonderful um it's Rusty and Helper. Rusty's still in the panic room trying to open the door. Oh, yeah. And Helper won't <laughs> let him out until he apologizes. Right. And it's like Rusty is saying sorry. And I think the implication is that Helper's no, like, you know, like, no, say it like you mean it. Yeah. And that goes back to what we were saying before, where we were questioning whether his apology was genuine or emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. I never tied it together that Helper, like understands that it was emotional manipulation Mm. but he's still gonna help rusty because rusty needs help exactly but now that rusty is safe he's gonna get that apology Mm. and i think this is one of the few times we've seen helper like stick up for himself in such a manner sure and i'm really proud of him we do get glimpses of helper being strangely antagonistic towards billy in the later seasons though (laughs) which is i think is wonderful yeah um 
And it's he not like Billy's a threat. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if it's antagonistic necessarily, but what they have the video of helper pushing him into the pool or something, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. It, helper is wonderful. like sassy. He does get sassy. Yeah. Especially he, if you give him a gun and leave him in charge of uh, <laughs> security. I wouldn't call that sassy so much as scared. Yeah, that was pretty manic. Yeah, that's a that is there are like some moments in this show where it's just like it's like two seconds and that's it. And we never address it again. But it's just so wonderful. Yeah. And I I swear I think about that two second scene more than most other things yeah it, it hits really hard it's for what so, it is it's, it's so good <laughs> that level of a uh, uh this is a word i'm making up but that level of frazzlement is something <laughs> Frazzle. that i've experienced many times at a yeah. front desk Frazzle that's dazzle. that's yeah. <laughs> late like season seven right yeah i believe it yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah because hatred is yeah yep I love how in the credits it says, um, and as always, Soulbot as helper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, we got a, another bit of housekeeping before we go. Uh, for the longest time, we've been saying uh, Jackson Public is Chris McCullough, but it's Chris McCulloch, which is something that Max got right before he even started the show, <laughs> and I corrected him on. And then I was 100% wrong. It is McCulloch. <laughs> I deferred to the Irishman. And that's the thing. I, I said, like, because I, I was thinking of the Irish name in my head. He has an English surname. Right. So that just goes, you know, if you're just confident about bullshit, uh, you know, people will believe you. Well, it, so and those two names are spelled differently, right? Yeah. So that's where the pronun- your pronunciation came from. Yeah. I was thinking okay. like imagining in my mind's eye a different spelling. And then I looked at the word and I was like, oh, that is not what I have been seeing all these years. <laughs> okay. And on that note, uh, thank you all so much for joining us with the Very Venture Rewatch. Next time, we'll be talking about The Incredible Mr. Brisby. Ooh, hell excited yeah. to talk about yes. that episode. Oh, yeah. And we get to talk about Brock's dick. Can't wait. Hell, yeah. Mm-hmm. We could have like a whole episode of just... Yeah, maybe at, maybe between season one and two, we'll do a um, dick like special? tribute to Brock's dick. Or just, you know, maybe we'll do like a tribute to all the dicks in the show. You know? Dick special. Coming up live. On that note... Bye. See you later.